Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Today, Tuesday, the 9th of April, 2019, episode 96. We're back to a standard three-segment news spot today because I've decided after speaking with several of you that it makes sense to really go ahead and space out the special guest interviews uh, so we can make time for these news spots because really, astounding as it sounds, we haven't done a standard three-segment news spot in about three weeks. Um, So if ever there was an example of too much of a good thing, I guess it's got to be the guest interviews. Not complaining at all. It's been fantastic, and I can't wait to do more. We've already got several in the pipeline But yeah, henceforth, they will be spaced out. Uh, And in fact, I've gone ahead and set up a dedicated scheduling page. You can find it over on Calendly. The address is calendly.com slash autonomous hogue. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com slash autonomous hogue. If you'd like to schedule an interview with me uh, to be a guest on the show, please head on over there and uh, make a submission. Uh, interview spots are available Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Right, let's see. Today then, driver assistance systems, do they actually make people safer? I'll be discussing this uh, with a personal anecdote. China is preparing to deploy something I've been discussing for quite some time. I've been proposing this really forever. Autonomous vehicle only lanes on freeways. And what the autonomous vehicle revolution can learn from elevators. All this right now. Hey, just a quick announcement that I'll be moving to Zencaster to record all future guest interviews. This should solve the admittedly suboptimal audio quality some of you have complained about. Uh, so with the exception of one last guest interview I've already recorded, which should be published either this Friday or next Tuesday, All subsequent guest interviews henceforth will be produced on Zencaster, and I expect then that the audio quality should be, well, basically perfect. So, sorry for that, uh, and thanks to all of you who pointed this out to me. All right, let's move on. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, so to kick things off today, I want to talk about a pretty cool experiment that was conducted by Mobileye and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, that's the IIHS here in the U.S., Um, The experiment's pretty cool. So um, they basically took 21 IIHS employees and they kitted out their cars with Mobileye uh, Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. That's ADAS, right? So things that basically help to monitor uh, and prevent imminent collisions or drifting out of your lane or hitting a pedestrian or bicyclist, you know, pretty typical stuff. Um, So so the way the experiment was conducted was pretty neat. Um, So they first installed the systems, but they were operating in stealth mode. So the drivers were never actually receiving any sort of alerts. And they did this, um, 
the, the stealth mode phase for about a month. And, um, and that was to sort of determine a baseline, meaning let's see how often the alerts go off and, and use that as the baseline to determine how the drivers drive ordinarily without any assistance systems in place. Well, then afterwards, after this baseline was established, the system was switched on, meaning it was actually notifying the drivers, uh, and they conducted the experiment for a further two months. Well, what's interesting is that during the, this period of time, the the alerts declined by 30 to 70%. And so it kind of took me a minute to wrap my head around this. Um, I thought the experiment was going to see the you know, the, the percentage of accidents avoided with the system, but rather what it really goes to show is that the system actually makes drivers drive more safely. So literally the number of alerts went down over time, uh, again, indicating that drivers tended to drive more safely once they had driven cars with these systems installed in the first place. I, I find that pretty neat. That That's pretty amazing. Um, obviously the sample size is a bit small, just 21 uh, just 21 people, but still, that that that's really something to think about, right? But I want to switch gears for a bit and share with you, as I promised, a sort of a personal anecdote. My wife and I were driving back to uh, Marin County from Palo Alto here in the San Francisco Bay Area. For those of you know who, who know the drive, it's it's on the beautiful 280 freeway. But this was 11 o'clock at night, and again, if you know the freeway, you'll know that yes, it's beautiful, but at that time of night, it's pretty much completely devoid of any other cars. Um, as it kind of snakes its way around the the somewhat ominous San Andreas Fault Lake, uh, which kind of sits there nestled in the mountains. Um, and so, so you're driving around, you know, middle of the night, no other traffic, and, you know, our car does not have, well, it's not a Tesla, it doesn't have, obviously, full autopilot, and although it does have fairly advanced lane keep assist and does a pretty passable job driving unassisted on freeways, uh, it is decidedly not anywhere close to even a Tesla's autopilot, let alone a fully autonomous car. Um, and it kind of got me thinking, which was a rather unnerving thought at the time. Um, I was admittedly pretty sleepy during the drive back. And I was thinking, you know, I could imagine how if we were in a Tesla with autopilot, I, if, I mean, if I'm honest, I could imagine how it might cause me to be a little bit more careless. I, I mean, I... I uh, I can imagine how people might be more inclined to, well, just fall asleep if they had something like autopilot. I mean, n- not suggesting it's okay to do that, but I could see how one could be a bit more careless or one could push themselves beyond their, you know, beyond the safe limit of fatigue and continue to drive when they otherwise shouldn't be. I mean, to put it a different way, there's a there's an article that's been kind of circulating quite a bit lately, which says... Something like bring back the manual transmission. This will make everybody a safer driver. And it, <laughs> as a guy who drew up, or yeah, I, I basically grew up driving a manual transmission cars. My my dad wouldn't teach me to drive in an automatic, which is awesome in retrospect. Um, you know, and it, it reminds me of a of a econ professor I had at UCLA. For those of you who may have had him, who remember his name was Professor Swanson. Really awesome guy. This was for econ, I think one and two or. 101, I don't know which. Um, he said a funny thing on one of the first days of class. I don't even know how this related to economics, but he said, if you want to produce the safest car on the road, get rid of the seatbelts, get rid of the airbags, and just install a giant metal spike in the steering wheel. This will make everybody a very safe driver. And 
I mean, it's a funny point, but it's a pretty valid point. I mean, going back to the manual transmission thing, the, the truth is, when you've got a manual transmission to focus on, and when I say focus, I mean, no, it, it definitely becomes a subconscious thing. You're not really consciously thinking how to drive a manual transmission once you're used to it. That's true. But nevertheless, it is another thing you've got to do. Um, it does keep you... Well, at least slightly more focused on the act of driving than, say, an automatic transmission car. And certainly a vehicle without lane keep assist and radar, you know, active cruise control and indeed with manual transmission, it is a more engaged, more involved thing, which by definition is going to make you pay more attention. You have to. You can't kind of space out or zone out, as it were. So... So yeah, so if we kind of think of the spectrum of driver involvement, right? And so on the one hand, you've got, let's say, uh, I don't know, a manual transmission car with no ABS, no seatbelts, no airbags, and yes, to honor Professor Swanson, a giant metal spike sticking out of the steering wheel, you know, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, let's, I'm not going to say a fully autonomous car, because that's a totally separate thing entirely, but let's say a Tesla with autopilot. I mean, I could very easily stand by the argument that the Tesla is going to be a much easier car to kind of space out, zone out, not concentrate as much, and indeed, potentially fall asleep at the wheel more easily because you're just not as involved. And so this raises the very, very interesting question that, you know, is this interim state of technology, in fact, better? Is it safer? Or to the point of something we discussed a few episodes back, this idea of, you know, streamlining the the five levels of autonomy put forth by the SAE to simply two states. So rather than levels one through five, have simply levels one and two, where level one is, well, everything not fully autonomous, but including things like ADAS. And level two is only fully autonomous. Um, you know, might that not be the safer way to do things? Although now that I say that, that doesn't really solve the issue, right? Because again, if you have a, you know, regardless what system of levels you use to designate the vehicle's autonomous capability or, or lack thereof, you're still going to have the system, uh, the situation where you've got a system which is simply an ADAS vehicle without being fully autonomous, in which case, to my original point, yeah, it makes it really easy to lose, to lose concentration and, and worse yet, to fall asleep at the wheel. All right, this is all kind of a roundabout way, I guess, of getting to the bigger point. And I know this is something that Alex Roy has touched on quite a lot, this very real need for driver monitoring systems. Obviously, uh, in 10, 15 years from now, when we have fully autonomous cars, I get it. This will be a non-issue. You won't need driver assistance systems. But for now, until we get there, yeah, if we accept the fact that these interim solutions do allow for drivers to be less aware, or at least it allows them to, you know, to kind of, well, it makes it easier to just fall asleep at the wheel. Let's just be direct and blunt and get to the point here. Um, then, then, yeah, I think it's very, very important to have driver assistance systems. Something I find rather interesting is that, you know, with respect to the, um, the, the little tiny camera inside of a Tesla Model 3, which is facing the cabin, um, nobody really knew that what that was for. I know that Alex Roy had famously said rather um, rather ominously, one could say perversely, that maybe it's because the Model S and X don't have the camera in the first place, 
which is why the camera in the Model 3 is switched off. It's not being used currently. Well, then Elon Musk came on the air on Twitter and said, hey, look, we've just got that camera there in anticipation of for, for when Teslas can be used for the Tesla ride-sharing fleet. Um, we want to make sure you can monitor your occupants so people don't throw a party and mess up your car. I mean, okay, that's cool. But to Alex's point about the need of, the, you know, the need for um, driver monitoring systems in this interim state of technology, yeah, that's a pretty big thing. I mean, I guess to wrap it up then, net-net, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, you, you do one of these drives late at night, you're sleepy, you're tired, and you've got a car that you've got to drive 100%. You know, no driver systems systems at all. That's going to keep you pretty alert and pretty awake. Conversely, you get in a car which largely drives itself for you, and it is going to be a lot easier to fall asleep at the wheel. So, I don't know, just thinking about this some more, I mean, there's a lot of interesting data to kind of pull together on all this, and I think it'd be really interesting to see. I mean, I guess, again, at the end of the day, it turns out, you know, are you going to, you know, is, is the system safer on net than than cars without, um, you know, even though it might be easier to fall asleep, are you having less accidents per, you know, per X number of miles driven? Um, well, I guess that remains to be seen. Um, I don't know. Let me know what you think about this. I, I think it's an interesting thing to consider. But can we at least agree that, you know, if for no other reason, then why not? Yeah, we really need to start deploying and perhaps even mandating driver monitoring systems sooner rather than later on any vehicle which is level two and above. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so this this kind of makes me smile. Um, I've been saying for a long time, and with many of the guest interviews recently in the past month or so, this has turned up quite a bit as well. This notion of you know geofenced autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, one of the discussions that's turned up a lot has been you know level four versus level five, and oh, it's going to take forever until we get level five, and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I've said a bunch of times that, look, who, who cares whether we get to level five? You know, level four, by definition, is essentially level five, but for the fact that it's geofenced. You know, it's only going to operate on certain roads. By the way, quick shout out to someone on Twitter who asked to remain anonymous. He called me out on my mistaken description, my incorrect description of level five versus level four. And, you know, he said I was kind of using them interchangeably a bit. Specifically, I was wrong to suggest a future where level five vehicles were deployed, but only on certain streets or certain lanes of freeways, say. And his whole point to me was that, you know, by definition, if you're limiting them to certain streets or even lanes, that is not level five. Um, and okay, I fine, fair enough. I conceded as much. This was through a direct message on, on Twitter. Um, but regardless, the point that I'm trying to get at is let's just forget about level five. Who cares? Let's focus on level four and make the best level four vehicles we can and geofence the heck out of them. They're only going to work on certain streets, certain boulevards, and certain lanes. That'll be great. So what? We can deal with level five later on when we get there. And again, as I always say, 
Nobody complained about trains being geofenced and limited. Nobody cared about the overhead electric buses that we have in cities like San Francisco and elsewhere in the world. No one said, oh, look at those terrible electric buses. They're limited just to certain streets. Oh, let's just embrace level four and that'll be it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, China is doing precisely that. It turns out that they're building a brand new freeway, which links Beijing and, excuse my horrible pronunciation, I'm going to try. It's a freeway that links Beijing and Xiongan. Uh, it's spelled X-I-O-N-G-A-N. This is in the Hebei province. That's H-E-B-A-I. Excuse me, H-E-B-E-I. Uh, it's a 100-kilometer freeway. That's 62 miles. It'll be open to two-way traffic. Um eight lanes in total, two of the lanes will be specifically for autonomous vehicles, like only for autonomous vehicles. Now, the freeway is going to be limited to between 100 to 120 kilometers an hour. So that's like 60 to, to about, I guess, 70-ish miles per hour. Um, and the idea is that these lanes will be specifically designed for autonomous vehicles insofar as being built out with intelligent infrastructure, wireless communication, internet technology, and all that good stuff. So uh, without getting into details too much, I just want to kind of reiterate the point here is that I've often gone on the record quite a bit suggesting that we do not, in fact, have a chicken and egg problem. You know, there's this big question that says, oh, well, how can you have autonomous vehicles without infrastructure? Why would you build infrastructure without autonomous vehicles? I think this is a really silly debate. It's not a chicken and egg problem. We already have the technology, at least for level four vehicles, at least in certain areas, certain companies. Um, you know, I'm quite confident that say, for example, just to, just to pick a name, cruise automation testing here in San Francisco, they're, they're doing a really incredible thing trying to get things working on all the streets. But if they were, you know, blessed with autonomous vehicle only lanes, or at least autonomous vehicle only streets say, um, I think they would do just fine, just based on what I've read about their advancements. So, so why not do that? Why not embrace that? Why are we trying to sort of push for this uh, admittedly incredibly awesome, admirable future of level five everywhere. Let's just settle on level four for the time being and make that work. You know, I've, I've said just by analogy, you know, we don't even have pedestrian only streets in San Francisco, which totally blows my mind. Ironically, LA city of cars, they've got lots of pedestrian only zones. In fact, the world famous third street promenade in Santa Monica is a really awesome example. Um, so why not do the same thing with autonomous vehicles sooner rather than later? Again, this this bus lane that's been built and that is being built in San Francisco on Van Ness Avenue. Um, why is this not at least dual purpose for autonomous vehicle use? Also, I just I don't get it. So so I think this this deployment in China of this autonomous vehicle, uh, well, this new freeway which has two autonomous vehicle only lanes. I think this is just awesome, and this is absolutely the way to go. So. Um, that's all I've got on that. Let me know your thoughts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, to wrap things up today, I want to touch on a 
pretty cool article in The Economist's 1843 publication. Uh, there's, a, there's an article you should give a read. It's called Pushing the Right Buttons. And the headline is, People were once terrified of traveling in lifts without operators. Makers of driverless cars should take note. So, yeah, we've touched on this in the past. I'm pretty sure we've used this as an analogy um, with respect to autonomous cars. Obviously, depending on whom you ask, when and where, people are either totally supportive and fully embrace autonomous cars. Others, and I think still the majority, tend to shy away and indeed be quite fearful of them, and perhaps rightfully so. I, I don't know. Um, I personally think one should not be. One should embrace anything well, futuristic, really, which makes or at least promises to make life better, safer, whatever. Um, but the issue with elevators was that, well, people, yeah, they were pretty scared. Um, so the issue was they, they were afraid to be in this metal box, which could potentially fall and they would just die. Right. And so this is a big reason, I think, why elevators had operators, right? People felt safer with a lift operator. And um, anyway, once these lift operators were removed, there was really this really profound terror. Like, what happens? What if the door gets jammed? What if the thing just falls? And so on. So eventually what happened was, uh, and as the article says, the most important change was the addition of an emergency stop button uh, that could be used to halt the lift at any time and a telephone with which to summon assistance in the event of a problem. So, so finally then, with the deployment of this emergency button and the telephone, finally in the 1950s, think about that, only in the 1950s did people finally become totally comfortable using these elevators without any sort of attendance. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And when you consider that the first elevator was deployed sometime in, what was it, 1890-ish, uh, 1880s, um, that's a really long time for people to finally say, yeah, we're okay with this. We're comfortable with it. You know, this is safe. So I, I think that's a really important takeaway then for autonomous vehicles that, you know, people are just afraid to get into a car without a driver. According to this article, something like 73% of Americans still say that they're afraid to travel in an autonomous vehicle. Now, just real quick, I have said a few times in the past, I think part of this problem stems from the fact that today's autonomous vehicles are still essentially just a regular car. You get inside of a Waymo minivan and it still has a driver's seat with a steering wheel and, you know, control panel and shift lever and all that stuff. And in fact, it's got a human test driver. But, and I think even if you got rid of that test driver, um, rather like getting rid of the lift operator, people would be even more afraid because of course they would. There's a driver's seat with a steering wheel and there's no driver. That is kind of unnerving. I think that somebody needs to conduct a study, an experiment to gauge people's reactions, getting into a car, which is fully autonomous, but also doesn't have a steering wheel. doesn't have a driver's seat, doesn't have a gauge cluster at all. See if that's just as scary to people. Because again, my, my hypothesis is that if people get into a vehicle with no driver inputs whatsoever, and if there is in fact no backup driver, then they're going to be less fearful than if they get into a car with driver inputs, like a steering wheel, but no human driver. Um, but in any event, yes, I think regardless, either way you do this, whether there's a human backup driver, sorry, whether there's driver inputs or not, of course, having an emergency button, having a call to, you know, to call for help when something inevitably does go wrong at some point, because of course it will. Yeah, of course, that's, that's I think, a foregone conclusion, because why not? 
So there you have it, autonomous cars. Amazing what we can learn from an elevator. All right, well, that's a wrap for today. Please don't forget to leave me five stars on iTunes if you enjoy this show. Follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Keep subscribing to my YouTube channel. You can find it just by searching for Autonomous Hogue. I think I've got around 56 subscribers so far. I need 100 to get a custom URL. Anyway, I'll see you back here on Friday. Until then, have a wonderful rest of the week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.